sermon today is going to start a series on our core values. Every beginning of the year, we talk about the things that are most important to us through which we, we do everything. Um, if, if we're doing hospitality, we're trying to figure out how do we bring this through all of our core values? And if it doesn't fit, we don't do it or we do it differently. And today we're going to talk about evangelism. There are five core values that are important to us. And core values are the kind of the foundation principles, foundational principles upon which we do what we do. One is the lordship of Jesus Christ. To obey him is really important. To not just look at him as Lord in title, but Lord in function. That he actually is somebody that we give our, our allegiance to. And we honor him with the obedience of our life. Two, evangelism. We think the church ought to grow by evangelism, not by church transfer. Now, if you happen to be a person that came from another spot, welcome. Glad you're here. But may I say very plainly, you are not our target. Our target are those people out there that know nothing about Jesus. Now that you're here, we're going to provide for you as best as we know how. But then we're going to help you understand how important it is for us to help you reach them. We want to, we, we're trying to figure out how to, how to increase the kingdom, not just our church. By taking, by receiving, or we don't take, by receiving people from other congregations to be a part of us, it's like a guy who goes to one aquarium and takes a, a, a fish out of, his, out of this aquarium and puts him in this one, a new one. He hasn't increased the number of fish. He just increased the number of fish in one aquarium. We're trying to increase the number of fish, so we want to go fishing out in a pond someplace and bring them into the aquarium. Evangelism. Third is discipleship. Once you get here, we want to teach you what it means to be a disciplined follower of Christ. How in the world do you walk like Jesus walked on the earth? John said in 1 John, anyone who obeys him, anyone who calls him Lord, ought to walk as he did. Hard, high bar. But some, a bar we need to not lower in order to feel more comfortable. We need to figure out how we can reach it. Fourth is uh, leadership development. After we disciple you, we want to see you become a leader, somebody who not only follows Christ, but now follows Christ in such a way that other people want to follow you. And then lastly, family. We want to build a big family. We believe in the nuclear family. We want mom and dad to be harmoniously living according to scripture. We want them to train their children in the way that they should go, disciplining and encouraging and helping them understand their calling. We believe in that nuclear family because that's the basis upon which all good societies, especially the church, work. But then we also believe in a, in a spiritual family. We want to grow together as a people. That we have one, one God who is called Father that makes all of us siblings. And whether you like it or not, I'm in your family. And I want to get to know you. You need to get to know the person next to you so that we can work together and represent the family of God well. Those are the five values that we hold dear. And today we're going to talk about evangelism. Turn with me over to the book, <coughs> excuse me, to the book of Luke. And as we read the word, would you please stand? Book of Luke. The title of the message is focused to find the lost. Focus to find the lost. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
And there was a man called, uh, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And as he was unable due to the crowd, because he was a short, he was short in stature, so he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, because he was about to pass by through that way. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today I must stay at your house. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Verse 7. When the people saw this, they all began comp to complain, saying, He is gone to be, in, to be the, the guest of a man who is a sinner? But Zacchaeus stopped and said, Lord, behold, Lord, all Half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor, and, and, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'm going to give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Lord, bless your reading of the reading of the word, and help us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> there are three things in this passage about which I like to speak. What it means to have your focus interrupted. And then how your focus, when it's interrupted, gives you a new focus. And how that new focus helps people maybe get right. Before I get into the message, I want to acknowledge that today is uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. And uh, we are grateful for the sacrifice and efforts that he gave in order to see people love one another in our country and, and push equity and what it means for fairness to be realized according to the Constitution's words and creeds. Here we've got a passage that is, uh, it's, it's unusual, that, that, that this passage would actually be recorded. Now, John says this about Jesus, that if if you were to put pen to paper, you would not be able to contain all the things that Jesus did and said. That's how many things he did. And so what we have in, in Scripture, in, in the four Gospels, are really the, the, the poorest version of the ESPN highlight reel. All we've got are spectacular dunks and three-pointers made from beyond the half-court line. These are amazing, but this guy makes it. And who is Zacchaeus? We don't see him being a disciple, at least not one of the 12. We, we, we don't understand him even being on the outskirts of the 120. We don't see him in the book of Acts being called a deacon. He's just a dude. And he's just a dude who is very unlikable. You have to understand if, if you look at Matthew chapter 9, um, it gives the, the, the details of the calling of Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. This is the Matthew who wrote Matthew. He was a disciple. He happened to be in Jesus' hometown. And Jesus was at home. He had just healed a guy who was a paralytic. And word was getting around about this guy being pretty amazing. His home was now Capernaum, not Nazareth. And so he lived with his mama there. And this is the miracle of the, the four guys who were carrying the paralytic. They couldn't get in because of the crowds that had surrounded the home of Christ and Mary. And so they had to actually get on top of the roof and make a hole and drop the guy in. And Jesus healed him. Pretty, pretty amazing. Word was spreading 
that this paralytic who had been in Capernaum for most of his life, we, we think, at least during the time period where he was a paralytic, was now walking. And nobody could figure out how except that Jesus said he could. Something about this environment allowed people to do the unusual. So Jesus sees Matthew, and Matthew is at his tax-collecting booth. And he says to Matthew, come and follow me. And it says that Matthew got up and followed him. He quit his job. Just quit his job. Just said, okay. Now, you don't do that unless there's a reputation behind the person who is telling you to follow them. So this is why I said the other thing regarding the miracle is that this man, Jesus, was unusual to everybody in the neighborhood. Something about him made people say, I'll move. I'll quit. Outstanding. But the Jesus would call Matthew. He just had this front page headline miracle. And then he goes to call a guy who's a tax collector. It says that after he called Matthew, people began to say, who is this fella? Matthew 9. Who is this fella that cavorts with tax collectors and sinners? He hangs around with them intentionally. It's not like he's doing it by accident. They happen to be in a meeting on a Sunday morning. No, no, no. He visits them. He goes by where they are. And, and when we're talking about sinners, we're talking about what the thieves, uh, the, the people who would be the normal breakers of the law. That's what the Pharisees would call sinners. But then tax collectors had their own category. If you were, if you were a thief, you were better than a tax collector. If you were a murderer, you were better than a tax collector. If you were a lady who worked at night, you were better than a tax collector. Tax collectors had their own category. Tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because tax collectors became tax collectors because they paid Rome in order to be tax collectors so that they could take money from their own people and give it back to Rome. Whoever became the highest bidder for a particular area, city, town, they became the person, person who now took all the money from their own people and gave it to Rome. And so unusually hated were tax collectors because they just didn't sign up for a job. They paid to be traitors. They paid to be traitors. The Jewish people hated tax collectors. And Jesus is building his staff. And he says, Matthew, come on. Can you imagine what Peter said? What? Wait, 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 what, what? Who? This dude, he foreclosed in my uncle's house. What? what, what you, you, no, no, no. You, you got the wrong. You can't bring him. And then to make it more complicated, we don't have the details of the calling of the guy I'm about to explain, but his name is Simon the Zealot. He was one of the 12. Zealot meant that he was what we would describe, at least Rome would describe, as, as a terrorist against Rome. He was doing all he possibly could to overthrow Rome and to see Israel come back into its glory, a prominence and power in the land. 
you called a zealot and you called a tax collector to be on the same staff? <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? And he probably made them bunk mates. <laughs> Can you imagine Matthew every night sleeping with one eye open? I don't, Simon may not be as consecrated as I'd like him to be. He might want to kill me because if there's anybody Simon would hate more, it would be Matthew. Because Matthew was a conspirator for Rome. Jesus was unusual in his architecture for what it meant to put people together for his purposes. Which means whatever challenge you have with me or with your neighbor or with your friend, or with, or with somebody who used to be your friend. This is a moment for you to figure out what it looks like to see Jesus inserted, to see reconciliation happen. You might have very good reason not to like them and them not like you. So, this is a way God can be glorified in unusual, marvelous, miraculous, witnessing way. I'm going to let you know I noted that nobody said amen on this point. <laughs> but this is, the, this is the profession of Zacchaeus, the most hated man in Jericho, the most hated man in Jericho. And Jesus is on his way to be crucified. This is, this is the last time he's going to visit this city, coming down from the region of Galilee, coming through Jericho, and he's got a few more miles after that to get to Jerusalem. And the crowds are building. Everybody's beginning to talk about who this man is and what might happen when he gets to Jerusalem and he's actually going to come to power. This is going to be so cool. I want to be as close as possible. The coronation moment, I want to have my own selfie with him. God, let it happen, God. Let it happen. Crowds are building. And he comes through Jericho and everybody's just, just hollering and screaming and the bandwagon's growing. And, and, and now the people in Jericho are beginning to say, who is this that's coming through? And they recognize him, and everybody's talking about his, his possible ascension to the throne as the Messiah. And, and Zacchaeus, is, he, wants, he wants to get a, 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 a view, but he's too short. So he climbs up a sycamore tree because he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus is focused now. He says he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And the reason he had to set his face like flint, meaning hard focused straight and narrow because there were so many other places he could possibly go and bless people but this is where he could bless people the most with his own death so he had to make a decision every day I am now on my way to die and I will not let the emotions I feel dissuade me from that purpose Jesus was phenomenal whatever Whatever superlatives we can begin to, to ascribe to Christ are always less than. You can't describe him well enough. But that he knew he was going to be treated horribly when he got to the city and suffer a death beyond any that had ever suffered. And he still said yes. Like, wow. Especially when everybody was, you're my hero. Oh, I like you so much. Do this for me. I will help you whatever you need. The praise was like it had never been for him. And he was then going to 
preached such truth when he got to Jerusalem that all those who praised him began to deride him. Set his face like flint. He was focused. Yet his focus about what it meant to die for us did not dissuade him from the people who needed him the most. I realize you came to Washington for some reason. Most of y'all were not born here. I wasn't. Most of you all came here because you got a job. Got a better offer than you got anyplace else. And I'm happy for you. And you're focused about making sure that you complete your mission. You do what you're supposed to do on your job. Make enough money so you can do what you planned your goals were, get your goals accomplished, and then your goal is because you don't like Washington that much to probably leave later. (laughs) Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Right now you're thinking, okay, my retirement plan, Winchester, (laughs) where am I going to go next? I get it. And I think that way, but I got a big stop sign every time I do. I have to stay. And it's not like I don't have a dearth of invitations to come and retire here. So many people, Pastor Brett, please, we can use you. In your latter years, ooh, you still got strength. We can use you. Come retire here. All my friends in Orlando say, we could get a house for you. We'll help you. I can't leave. I can't leave. God called me here. He called me to help win the city. I'm not going anyplace. I'm going to be buried here. Don't clap about the burial. Just that I'm here. Just I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm not going no place. <clears throat> and Jesus, as focused as you are, Jesus leaves us an example. I know you got goals, you got occupational goals, you got familial goals, you got relational goals, you got societal goals, I get it. But don't forget about the people who are most important. Don't forget about those who need to be touched. Jesus is focused on going to Jerusalem, but he sees this one guy up in a tree. His entire attention is taken away from whatever he was going to do to do that. And remember, you you can multitask. You don't have to let go of one thing to grab hold of another. Ecclesiastes says that. The wise man will come away with both. It is good not to let go of one thing as you grab another. The wise man will come away with both. We can come away with both. You don't have to sacrifice your goals in order to minister to people who desperately need the truth. Zacchaeus climbed this tree to see who Jesus was. All he was, all Zacchaeus was, was going to be a reporter for TMZ. He wasn't trying to get saved that day. He was just trying to let people know, I saw him too, and let me tell you what I saw. He wanted to go back and tell all of his relatives, I got a glimpse, I I got something on him. And Jesus notices him. He says, hey, what you doing up there? How about this? How about I come to your house? The crowds began to, to get a little more distant. Those who were so happy weren't happy anymore. Okay, Jesus, if you want to minister to him, just preach to him from where you are while he's in the tree. And while you're doing it, tell him to give me my money back. You do not have to go to his house. To his house. When you stepped over the threshold of somebody who was a sinner, even though this wasn't a part of the law, you became contaminated. This is why the Pharisees were so distraught 
and accused Jesus of hanging out with tax gatherers and sinners because they wanted to make him seem less than to everybody else who would want to follow. He is contaminated. But if there was any one moment whereby Jesus would show that, that, that contamination does not come from them to him, infection doesn't come from them to him, but healing comes from him to them. If there is any one moment you have a leper, in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 8 from chapter 9, you have a leper who's coming and, and, and it says the crowds were following. And this leper comes up to Jesus and he says, I need, I need you. And Jesus says, what do you need? I need to be clean if you are willing. Now, you, the leper took a serious chance. When you were a sinner or unclean, generally speaking, you did not hang around public much because everybody knew what you weren't supposed to be. And especially somebody who was a a leper. A leper was supposed to say this every time he got in public. Unclean! Unclean! So that everybody else could depart. They, 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 They usually had leper colonies so that they could hang around together if you were a leper. But sometimes they had to come out and get food. And they didn't have any relatives to do it. So they had to shout unclean whenever they came so everybody else could depart and not get infected. This leper gets right up to Jesus, which meant when the crowds were out, he didn't say unclean. He was taking a serious risk. Didn't know whether Jesus was going to sell him out. Didn't know whether, if you didn't say unclean and you were there, people could legally stone you. He was taking a serious risk. But the serious risk may not have been as serious as we think because he realized, I'm going to die anyway. So he comes to Jesus Please make me clean. Jesus said, I'm willing. Now, Jesus could have, he could have just spoke the word and said, you're clean and kept his distance. He did that with, with the centurion who had a slave. From a distance, the centurion says, hey, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. I, I, I'm a man under authority and I have people under authority with me. I tell one go and he goes. I tell one come and he comes. If you just say the word, my servant will be healed. You don't have to come. Jesus said, I have not heard of this kind of faith in all of Israel, your servant's whole. He could have just spoke the word. But what does Jesus do? He says he stretches out his hand, touches him. And everybody's going, oh, now Jesus is unclean. Because if you touch an unclean person, you are now unclean. Legally, according to the the Levitical law, you are unclean. And you got to go through a whole lot of rituals to get clean. Seven days of separation, washings, it's a, it's, a, it's a job. Jesus touches him. But instead of the leper infecting Jesus, Jesus allows his healing to affect the leper. Yeah. And the leper gets healed. Everybody realizes, oh, Jesus spoke, but it, oh, oh, oh. Jesus doesn't mind being around people who are affected by sin, by disobedience. They have the stuff growing on the inside of them that comes from their wayward life, he is not dissuaded from you, me. Our wrong thoughts don't make him run. Our bad actions don't make him flee. They don't make him put us at arm's distance. You really need to say a lot of amens right now. He loves you that much. And although you, you try to run away whenever you do something wrong, You think he's going to get you. As soon as you turn, as soon as you make some kind of 
active motion to say, I, I want to change? Where is he? He's been following you. He's been stalking you. <laughs> He's been running after you. He's not distant. You don't have to run to f- try to find him. He is right there. And he comes to bring his healing and hope. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus was so blown away because nobody ever wanted to come to his house. Nobody. And here we've got the Messiah saying, I want to come to your house. I beg you, do the unusual with the person in your world who needs to see something unusual about who Jesus is in your life. Don't just make it normal. We are called to be people just like Jesus who are to seek and save the lost. And though you are focused to be what you need to be and do what you need to do, there are people on your perimeter who need your attention. There are people on the outskirts of your your life, your perimeter, who definitely need to hear from you about who Jesus is and how you want to invade their life with goodness. They are not going to invite you because they don't know what that means. Sometimes you have to uncomfortably invite yourself. Now, I know what I'm about to say is going to categorize me in the place of a pastor. And you say, well, that's what pastors do. But I was doing this before I was a pastor 40 years ago. I would invite myself into people's lives. Call it an intrusion. But it's a loving one. When you see somebody who's in trouble, do you leave them in their trouble? It's not love to do that. It's not caring to do that. You try to bring them out of their situation into a better one. That is the motivation I've got. It has very little to do with my responsibility to be a minister. I minister to people because I realize if I don't, I don't know who will. And they might not get God ever. They might not ever get whole. I don't want them to live life without him. Where are you with that? I don't want to concentrate on the responsibility to do evangelism. Although there is one. I want to concentrate on your duty to love. Your care for humanity. Jesus was focused. And he said, I'm going to divert a little time to this one here. Zacchaeus was so excited that anybody would want to come to his house, much less Jesus would want to come. He never thought that. He jumps down from the tree, and everybody begins to immediately talk about Jesus. How in the world could he go to this man's house? He ought to come to my house. He ought to come to the pastor's house, the priest's house, the Pharisee's house, not his house. Who is Jesus? Why is he doing this? I've just, he's just gone down on my scale of reputation and integrity. Until Zacchaeus says this. If, if you come to, you're going to come. Here, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, it doesn't say this when he got in Zacchaeus. It doesn't say that he said this when he got in Zacchaeus' house. It, it gives you the sense that as the people were talking about this, Zacchaeus was hearing them say things. And he said, wait, I want you to know, this is changing my life. This is changing my life. 
half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. And I imagine that shut the people up and they said, well, keep going to his house. Yeah, keep, keep stepping, keep stepping. That day. And if I have defrauded anybody, he didn't just say I'm going to pay him back. I'm going to pay them four times more. Have you ever, ever heard the IRS say we're going to pay you four times more than your refund? Do you know what that town had then? A financial revival. He was the lead tax collector. A financial revival in Jericho. Why? Because Jesus diverted his focus. Everybody who hated Zacchaeus now got a tremendous refund. And the poor at least weren't as poor as they used to be. Now, when you, when you meet somebody who responds like this, it's good to take them through a prayer to make sure they understand what it means to commit their life to Christ. Lord, I love you. I thank you for forgiving me for my sin. I repent from everything I've done wrong. I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me. It, good to pray a prayer like that. But it's only so they know the theological things that are being done in their heart that they can't express themselves. God is not looking for the perfect prayer. Amen. He's looking for a changed heart. Yeah. This is why the guy at the, on the cross with Christ... And when Jesus is hanging there, he's got two criminals on either side, one who seems to be pretty obstinate and unrepentant. The other seems to be pretty sensitive. The, the guy who's obstinate says, Jesus, if you're all that they say you are, hop off this thing and get us off too. The guy who seems to be a little sensitive to God says, who are you to say that to him? We deserve to be here. He doesn't. Shut up. My paraphrase. <laughs> <clears throat> Jesus doesn't say anything. And then the guy who's sensitive just blurts out, um, uh, uh, when, you, when you come in, in your kingdom, um, could, you, could you like just re remember me? He didn't know what to pray. He didn't know what to say. But Jesus looked at him and said, hey, today, follow me. You're going to be with me in paradise. The prayer is so that somebody understands the theological things that need to be in order and what they've done. But it does not save them. Amen. The thing that saves them is a changed heart. Yeah, that's right. Jesus says this, the financial repentance that has happened in this man's life evidences salvation he says today salvation has come to this house when you touch somebody when you go out beyond your comfort zone and try to figure out the felt need in somebody's life you know what Zacchaeus's was just acceptance just somebody love me even though I'm a mess it didn't take a whole lot Jesus didn't preach to him all day he just said I'm coming to your house that one gesture broke Zacchaeus's heart and as a result, he began to do stuff that not even good Christians do. I mean, good Christians repent, but they don't make restitution. You're not trying to go back and fix everything you did wrong with everybody you hurt and the money you took. You're just trying to get on with your life and be forgiven. 
at least two of you. The rest of you, <laughs> the rest of you are really good with that. This man said, I'm going to repent like this. <laughs> so deep was it that Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. You find a felt need in somebody's life. Maybe they just need somebody to pray with them. I use this all the time. Can I pray with you at a restaurant with a waiter? I do it all the time. Give me my check. I say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Is it, pardon me? Yeah, is there anything I can pray for you about? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, my, my two-year-old has a debilitating disease and we're trying to figure out. I say, great. Listen, give me your hand. 15 seconds, I pray with him right there. Bring him into the presence of God. 80% of the time, and I'm not kidding, 80% of the time, tears flowing down the waiter's face. They walk away, they don't know what's happened to them. But they walk away better. Is it full evangelism? No. It's just, Zacchaeus, I'll come to your house today. That's all it is. Realizing a felt need. Now, that is not the end. With Zacchaeus, it wound up being full repentance. I haven't seen that yet with a waiter. Don't have time, they're working. But I have seen it with many other people with whom I prayed. Many other, I can't tell you how many, I've led a bunch of people to Jesus over 40 years. And it's been beautiful to see them grow up in God and see them become what they didn't even know they could become. And I am not an evangelist. I'm not. I'm not quite sure what I am, but I'm not concerned about what I am. I just do what needs to be done to advance the kingdom wherever I am. If I need to be an evangelist, I'll do that. If I need to be prophetic, I'll do that. If I need to be apostolic, I'll do that. If I need to teach, I'll do that. If I need whatever is needed, pastor, I can do that. Not to mention serve, care for, practice all the spiritual gifts. I want to be able to do that. But it's... It's, it's having at least enough tools in your tool belt to be able to touch somebody in a felt way. And you may not have all the tools I've got because I've been walking with them for a long time. But you got something. You got a story. You have a life. I'm begging you. Take whatever focus you've got. Divert it a little without giving up on it. And watch what God will do with the people in your sphere of influence. Meet felt needs touch their lives and see salvation happen to somebody that might affect an entire city. I imagine all the people, as I close, that Jesus was, was around who were talking bad about him, as he was leaving the city, were saying, by the way, we have, we have another tax collector over here that we'd like you to talk to. They didn't have an interest in the tax collector. They just wanted a refund. Sometimes the focus that you give to somebody can impact somebody's, so many others. Somebody did that for me one time. I was walking across the bridge at Indiana University, and they talked to me about Jesus. I was going from, from class to my dorm, asked me a question, are you a Christian? I was offended that he didn't even say hello. That's what came out of his mouth first. 
name is Randy, offended. And I said, well, that depends on your definition. I retorted. Do you know that's the wrong answer? He began to give me the right answer for the next 20 minutes. I was completely undone. Completely undone. At the end of it, I said, no, man, I ain't. I'm not that. He invited me to a meeting. I got right with God. He didn't know you'd be here 40 years later. He didn't know. He didn't know that we would have planted 13 congregations. He didn't know. He just decided, I'm going to divert my focus three degrees to the right and find this guy. Now, there is so much more Jesus should have done with me because I've been so messed up. But from my perspective, he squeezed more juice out of me for the drinking than I ever thought possible. Who can impact a town in your sphere of influence? Who? You may not know, but if you reach out, you might find out. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. <laughs> Empower us to be the kind of people that love folks in our sphere of influence in a way that gives the gospel.